Today's TribCast is presented by Upbring. Upbring is helping families affected by Hurricane Harvey rebuild their lives. Will you stand with us by sending a gift today? Learn more at upbring.org. Also, St. Mary's University School of Law. Summon your talents at St. Mary's University School of Law, offering excellence in legal education since 1927. Learn more at law.stmarytx.edu. Texas talking, oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking, ah, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking, tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are and Texas guys This is John Ralston, the editor of the Nevada Independent. We're a nonprofit digital news organization in Nevada. I'm really looking forward to being in Austin in a few weeks for the Texas Tribune Festival, where I'll moderate a conversation on Country Before Party. Hope to see you there. Enjoy this week's TribCast. And now, here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here on the 6th of September with your Texas Tribune TribCast, our weekly podcast about the biggest stories in Texas politics. I'm joined today by CEO Evan Smith. What's up? What's up? Yo. <laughs> uh, Border Bureau Chief Julian Aguilar. Hello. I thought this is like our hang. Isn't this like a hang? This is your hang. Uh, and political reporter Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Like he's all, you're on always so official. <laughs> <laughs> he's, like, uh, he's like 25 going on 90. Todd, give him that sweater. <laughs> For those of you who are I just... do own a sweater like that. <laughs> you do? I do, yeah. yeah it's no, a, it's a if you're not no watching shift. on Facebook, Todd is wearing a nice gray cardigan today. Because it's icy cold in this room. It looks like he, he lifted outside. it from Westminster Manor. <laughs> lifted it. Poor Todd. Uh, let's start with the latest big headline out of the White House and the reason that we have young Nacho Aguilar here. And that's to talk about the future of DACA, the Obama-era program that uh, granted relief from deportation to, I guess, uh, hundreds of thousands of young undocumented immigrants. Right. What, uh, what has the president said? Who is he leaving this on? To accomplish and try to make DACA sound hilarious. Since this yeah. is a light podcast. So uh, deferred action: uh, about 124,000 uh, Texans have applied since the program began five years ago, um, and then since then several have renewed. So we're talking about 220 permits just issued in Texas alone. That's second behind California. Uh, he's leaving it up to Congress. He's probably saying, "Hey, you know, I'm going to drag this out for six months so you guys can finally act." Uh, he said he was going to make an announcement Friday, then Saturday, then Sunday, and then finally Monday. Then he said, actually, I'm going to have my attorney general make the announcement for me. And then last night... He could have just done it on Facebook Live. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> on a Sunday night. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, John Whitman just unfriended me. <laughs> so then all of a sudden last night he says... We always go back to that line. He yeah. could have just done it on Facebook Live. We do. <laughs> I'll let you guys get your John Whitman fix out of the way before I continue. I'm sorry. We've successfully made DACA hilarious. This is great. It only exactly. took like two minutes. We, we tried. Exactly. Uh, continue, please. Okay, thank you. Um, so then last night he says, you know, uh, we'll see what happens in six months. So what the hell does that mean? But what can anybody predict what he's going to say in two hours, much less six months from now? Well, he said last night that if they don't act on it, he'll revisit it. Yeah, exactly. So maybe this was all like... That scene in Dallas when the whole thing was a dream. So, so does he basically say, "I'm ending the program, and you guys have to figure out what to replace it with"? Well, he's Is saying, that the message? He's saying, "I'm gonna, it's you know, it's gonna, it's gonna expire in six months." But there's a lot of wiggle room. So, if you're, it's a two-year permit, and if your current status expires between now and the six-month period, March 5th, you have until next month to apply for a renewal. 
Um, and if you had already applied for a renewal, then those are going to be adjusted. Although they're not accepting new applications in the program. So if you expire next month and you go in to apply for a renewal, you're not going to get a renewal. No, it has to. No, no, no. It's yeah. You have to. You have to apply before for a renewal, not for no new applications at all. So you have to apply for a renewal. But renewals are okay. Yeah, before October. But yeah, no new applications. And then after that, you know, once it's done, it's done. Um, they're saying about eight thousand uh, folks with DACA are going to expire every week after the program runs out. So. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see what's, what what's the potential legislative solution here then? I mean, like, what could they do? What, do you, what is Trump banking on them doing? Or well, what are the options on the table? Well, there are a lot of reports saying that he's going to use this as leverage, you know, pass some sort of DREAM Act and give me wall funding or give me some sort of wall. So, And a lot of the folks that I spoke with yesterday at certain uh, press conferences and rallies and over the phone, they say, that's you're not going to use this as a bargaining chip, you know. Um, so that's one option. Another option is something that's called the Abridge Act that's a bipartisan effort to pretty much be sort of a, a DREAM Act light, which gives these folks protection until something legislatively, happen- legislatively you know, actually does occur. But, uh, you know, Steve King, the you know, far-right conservative from uh, a Republican from uh, Iowa, he said this is, this is going to cause a, a civil war within the party. Nothing's going to get done, and this is just like a six-month delay. So there's a lot of questions. Meanwhile, you have 800,000 people wondering what ICE is going to do with the information they provided on these applications, wondering if they're going to be out of a job, you know, the day after their status expires. You have even some, you know, moderate Republicans saying this is going to be a big dent to the economy, and we got to fix something. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Glenda asks on Facebook, so how much of this is due to the nine attorneys general? Explain to us what Ken Paxton's role is in all of this. Okay, so uh, in 2014, there was... Was another program that would have expanded the DACA pool. It was called DAPA. Um, Attorney General Ken, or former uh, Attorney General, now Governor uh, Greg Abbott, led the charge on that. And that lawsuit, um, that program was stricken down. The federal district court in Brownsville, the appellate court in New Orleans, and all the way to the Supreme Court. So it was never implemented. That law, so Paxton said he was going to amend that lawsuit to include DACA if this program wasn't rescinded by September 5th. A lot of people are saying that's a fake deadline. You know, Trump took the bait. He could have filed uh, extensions. He could have just like kind of played it out. But I think that obviously got the conversation started. And ever since he was sworn in, people were saying, yeah, you know, you're beefing up ICE and you're deporting more people and you're talking about the wall, but you're not receiving this program that you promised to do. So, uh, you know, if anything, Paxton and the nine other attorneys general, um, it should be noted that the Tennessee attorney general kind of backed out on Friday. He said, I'm not going to sue. Uh, this is a good program. We need a legislative fix. But that got, you know, that sort of was the uh, the impetus, you know, the, to get this thing. Rolling. And there are going to be lawsuits now, right? Both the New York and the Washington state attorneys right. general have said that they're going to yeah. sue they over this if counters, this actually. Yeah. They, uh, there's uh, on behalf of one plaintiff in New York and uh, an immigrant rights group, and the, they've already filed a lawsuit. They have a status conference September 14th. And ironically enough, they're saying that by rescinding DACA the way they did, they violated the Administrative Procedures Act, which is kind of like the, the Federal Register, the posting. And that's what actually stopped the 2014 DAPA initiative. That's what Paxton right. and everybody accused Obama of violating. Right, not getting the proper... Exactly. The Washington the State protocol. Attorney General has been a pain in Trump's ass, hasn't he? He yeah, was also so. the one who filed initially the refugee... Right. Didn't he file against refugees? Yeah. But uh, you know, I mean, even even the I mean, the most the pragmatic immigration attorneys that I've spoken to saying any leg- any uh, lawsuit, it's it's kind of it's a hail mary. I mean, even Maldef, who led the charge against uh, Senate Bill Four, um, they, I mean, even they said 
we need a legislative fix. Trump, Trump's got the power to do this, right? Yeah. He, can, he can undo it. I mean, so what does this mean in practice? Uh, Lori just asked on Facebook, you know, our college-age daughters have dear friends who are dreamers. You know, what, what are the implications for, for young people living in this country in Texas right now? It, you know, there's, there's always been ways to try to get, uh, you know, legal status. Other, you could get sponsorships, but those are very, very few and far between. You know, everybody says do it legally. There's, there's no line, you know. I mean, even, even Republicans acknowledge that there's no line to stand in. It's not, it's not easy to get sponsorship through a family member. So they're, they're banking on some sort of fix. And should be noted that I said when they made the announcement that, you know, if your DACA expires, you're not a high priority, right? You're, we're going to go after the criminals, which is what they've been saying forever. But we've already seen that the Trump administration has deported people with no criminal history. I'm wondering about the rebuilding of Houston and the coast right. and oh, the I degree mean, to which the labor market is going to be affected well, by this. So, so DACA recipients, they were, you know, they're, they're college or they're high school graduates, and they actually, they went into the workforce with, they weren't like low-skilled jobs, right. you know. But, I mean, you bring up a good point to kind of pivot away from DACA. Uh, there's been, the, the Workers' Defense Project said that 20% of the construction industry in Houston pre-Harvey was paid cash under the table. 38% of them are misclassified, which one can deduce that most of them are misclassified because they don't have legal uh, authorization to work here. So that is moving forward. That's going to be a big issue on to see how. And then, of course, there's the political consequences. You know, this is in a that you sort of the laundry list that you, you know, wall right. and ice deportations and now the end of DACA mm -hmm. and everything else. Theoretically, this is the right moment for, as you and I were discussing yesterday, if the Democrats had their acts together, which they don't, and they had a candidate for attorney general or a candidate for governor, you could actually see an entire campaign. Absolutely. Come together yeah. in opposition to the current people in office, whether it would be successful or not, around the idea yeah, that I mean, somehow. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And Another inflection point in, in Texas politics where but, but there were, but there's no on that sentiment. No right. candidates. I mean, I, you know, I'm really interested in this idea of what the sort of potential solution is, whether it's a bridge act or not. Where, where do Texans in Congress come down on these particular issues? I mean, you know, who, where are their alliances? I mean, are we just going to, you mentioned it's all out civil war. Do we see any consistency among Republicans in, in Texas? Well, I think, I mean, and you reported yesterday that, that Congressman Heard, right? He said this is, you know, this should start yeah, I mean, a conversation. Yeah, I mean, Heard was on one end of the spectrum right. and at least coming out and saying we need a permanent legislative fix to deal with this. That, you know, <laughs> not that that's the boldest statement, but it was certainly bolder than we saw from a number of Texas Republicans. I mean, many of them asked about this issue both before and after the decision yesterday have, you know, simply said, you know, I agree with the courts that this is an issue that should be left up to Congress, not the president. None of them have offered any specific guidance on how exactly they think right. Congress should deal with right. this. And actually, Governor Abbott was asked about it yesterday. I think it was the same hour that Jeff Sessions made his announcement, and Abbott continued to stick to that line that, you know, this is up to Congress, not the president. And a number of reporters, including myself, asked him, you know, okay, well, what is your advice for Congress? Right. Do you believe what it's do up you to want Congress? them to do? Yeah. And, and he, he declined to offer that. But he's Wh definitely, Why? He's he's he has an opinion about everything. Because it's so complicated. But what oh, do you yeah. think he actually believes? Do you think he sees this as politically complicated? Is that the oh, point? Absolutely. Oh, I think so. I think yeah. yeah I mean, any Republican. Yeah, I mean, right. it's not just Abbott. In all fairness, you know, there are a number of Texas Republicans who you don't want to, you know, at least well, here's for now who's, wait here, into. Here's who's not waffling about it: Ken Paxton. Right. Well, so you got at least well, one. Actually, pretty clear. Well, I mean, he's not waffling on DACA. Right. But you know, it, I, I do think a lot of folks think there is a legislative solution, and that they're putting it on Congress to come up with something because it is, this does have a huge effect on right. the Texas economy, does it not? I mean. Oh, it does, yeah, it definitely does. Like I said, you know, just based on the numbers, you know, it's going to affect. It, 
you know, Texas more than any other state, you know, aside from California, maybe. But, you know, say it does go back to that trade-off, like, okay, fine, we'll give you some sort of fix for, for the Dreamers uh, or for DACA, you know, but you're, we're going to have to do something with the wall. I mean, didn't Abby uh, Livingston report, you know, months ago that all the Texas Republicans were, you know, none of them Skeptical. were like 100 yeah. percent about the wall. So what's that's going to put them in a bind as well? There are an awful lot of, you know, yeah, and of course, the Democrats are not, they're not, never going to take that deal. No. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They're I mean, not. so and in the Senate, not. the Senate's a different story. I mean, they can clog up anything the House does. So, yeah. yeah. Well, just a reminder, if you're tuning in on Facebook, that you can send questions our way. Um, so let's we talked about about Harvey a little bit. I'm curious in the aftermath of Harvey. You know, we just got word that that the House, the, the U.S. House voted for a, a relief package for Harvey. Uh, what's the state's approach going to be to this funding? I mean, Abbott has come out pretty strongly, you know, against holding a special session to try to deal with some of this. So what's his take? What's what's the state's approach going to be? Well, <laughs> I think as evidenced by his, his comments, uh, you know, against having ruling out, basically ruling out a special session for Harvey aid is that there's going to be a, you know, pretty strict reliance on the federal government, at least in the short term, to provide the financial assistance. I'm sure that, I mean, I don't even know if I'm competent, competent enough to say this, but, you know, obviously you need to have the legislature in, in session to tap the rainy day fund. I'm sure there are other ways you could you could free up some other kind of funding at the state level. Well, well there, was this, as, there was discussion of, as, of procedurally the shifting yeah. around of some money and possibly creating as uh, Amon, our colleague Amon Bathija was suggesting was one potential route out of this, that you create a shortfall going into the next session by... Re, you know, restructuring, restructuring the way spending is, is even a possibility. Mm -hmm. what, what is the purpose of this rainy day fund? Well, I mean, also, I mean, just the name of it. I know, <laughs> like it couldn't <laughs> right? be more appropriate. You're saving if this it money. Were called for rainy the, day. Only if it were called like the Harvey Relief Fund, would right. it even? But it just, it just <laughs> this is like the rainiest day that it, Texas you know, has ever had. I, I understand that there's an intramural fight of sorts within the legislature about using it versus not using it. That is ever thus, it'll be ever thus. That's fine. Forget about that. When do you ever use it if you don't use it now? Although maybe, I mean, I, I thought, What's I think I heard, you know, an interview with Abbott where he was saying he thought that grand total for, you know, rebuilding was going to be something like $180 billion. Right. Yeah, that's a number how exploded. Much, how much is in the rainy day fund? Ten. So Ten. take okay. a, I mean, but what, like, but what like if you took a billion even, out? <laughs> Look, this, you know, it, it lets you say that you specifically dedicated it to uh, dealing with the public education problems right. that are coming up as a consequence of this. School closings or school repairs or... Unless some they sort just of subsidy think, for people who didn't have enough flood I, insurance. Or I, I just want to understand what the rationale. Yeah. I want I think, to know what the rationale is in an well, affirmative way. I don't want I to just hear we're not going to have a special session. I'd like to know what is the argument against using it. I think the argument yeah. against using it is going to be this is a you know there's a federal disaster declaration. This is something that you know is completely beyond the state's control. Now I think that's complicated. Then, then why have it? Well, well, I think what's complicated about this is that, is that Texas has a complicated relationship with the federal government. Right. And, you know, some Texas leaders in, you know, in Congress didn't vote for Sandy relief. You know, I mean, I do think this sort of idea that we're going to depend on the feds now when we fight back so hard against the feds and so many things, uh, you know, I think it, there are some perception issues. I think, you, I mean, you do, you know, couch all of this. You do have to keep in mind that the process of assessing what the impact and what the state's needs is really just beginning um you know and i not to say that you know maybe abbott's position on a special session could change but i think it may be a premature conversation at this point you know considering that i mean you know you know i-10 was closed in beaumont just two days ago i mean there's right. still some places that are you know yeah. uh you know that are just getting over this so, so i mean you think that, that, that he maybe can conceivably come back around and revisit that 
And maybe I think so. It may just be a, you know a bit of a somewhat of a premature conversation in terms of long the long term status. But it, but optically it's weird. Absolutely, I yeah. Mean, especially all, when it's called yeah. everything. Right, yeah. and, and it's also now like abundantly clear that he does not want them to come back for a special session <laughs> for any reason. Right. Yeah. I mean, if there was any question before about whether he would yeah. call them back on I, any you know, myriad I, issues. The impetus for this was you know Paul Bettencourt, uh, an ally of the lieutenant governor, the chairman of the Senate Republican Caucus, was quoted in the Houston Chronicle openly you know floating a We're gonna come special back session by, for by this January. In, by in January, January yeah. which it's quite specific. You know, people who have you know. Not not uh, suggesting or uh, assuming anything about his intentions, but people who, yeah. you know, float special sessions in January, there's usually a political component to that. I was interested to see in the New York Times story on the very question that you're talking about, uh, Emily, a story mm-hmm. that ran today. The one I emailed last night about? Yeah, yeah, that was about the relationship between the feds and Texas, how it's complicated, right? Um, that Texas, over the period of time between like the mid-50s and 2011, had more than 80 major disaster declarations by the federal government more than any other state. Um, hmm. More than California with all those wildfires. I know. It's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, I was like thinking it would be an interesting story to go back and look at what all those Document. disaster yeah. Yeah. declarations were because I'd love to know where the floor is, like what right. qualifies. And, and there's also so. a Category 5 on its way to Florida right Well, right. Now, I mean, that, there, right, and I mean, there are questions <laughs> about how much money FEMA even has. You know, right. Trump is pr- promising his full support in yeah, both of these it, But how the hell long does it take this money to get there? This I mean, storm is actually worse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. huge. Right? I, mean, I mean, it's off the category. It's a category list. 5. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. like beyond right. almost. And you already have people, you know, we're already getting reports out of Houston of people saying they've been denied FEMA relief, even though their, you know, entire ground floor had, yep. you know, three feet of water in it. I mean, I think... There's, there is at some point going to be sort of an interesting, you know, should the state have stepped in in a particular way financially? Right. JJ Watt can't solve every problem. <laughs> <laughs> as, far, as far as money, though, it should be noted that in 2014, Governor Perry moved money around without legislative approval to fund the National Guard. I mean, that's like a drop in the bucket compared to mm-hmm. what they right. need. I mean, so, there are, there's some there kind are, of procedural there ways, ways to do yeah, it. But yeah, yeah, you would have to do that like 20 times over to get enough money. I think mm-hmm. it's been very interesting. Again, this is something that Patrick and I were texting about the other day. Abbott has been out in front of this as he should be. This is what the governor does. You know, obviously the governor would much prefer there not have been a hurricane and not have been all this damage. But if there is one, governors govern, mm-hmm. governors lead, and governors been out. And governors had a pretty good couple of weeks as far as the visibility and his leadership and everything else. You got to give the governor a lot of credit for being every place all the time. I have not seen or heard much from other state leaders, mm-hmm. and I'm interested in that. Beyond the fact that some have said, well, we're going to give X amount of money from our campaign accounts toward right. this uh, Michael Dell-initiated relief fund, there's actually been an interesting – south of Abbott on the org chart, there's been actually a remarkable silence. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just curious, I'm curious about curious what that. the protocol is. Yeah, you right. know, the very – generally very noisy lieutenant governor who's actually from Houston. You know, we've, there's been some, some stuff. He's, he's done some but, stuff, yeah. But it hasn't been – you know, he hasn't been the one sort of running all the press briefings or – you know, and, right. and maybe that's just the governor's role. Do you, do you have a feeling about this? I mean, I don't doubt that people like the the lieutenant governor have been out helping and, mm-hmm. and visiting the affected areas and doing what they can to, to chip in. But and I you know I hate to speak you know so cynically in a time of crisis, but often you know I think in these situations it's just a matter of publicizing what you're doing, right. um, you know, and it's a you know usually it's a communications um, uh, matter in terms of getting out where you are and what you're doing, and right. I think. You know, and we're getting really deep into the course, weeds you gotta here. Be but care- I think you got to be careful you know, because the other thing is you don't want to be seen as 
somehow yeah. tooting your own horn or prof- yeah. profiting yeah. in a non-financial yeah, I mean, sense, right? I mean, it's it's a you know, if you're a state official, it's a difficult. Uh, <laughs> I mean, again, we're, we're speaking about at the time of crisis and how state officials are being perceived. But I mean, you know, it's you know, Ted Cruz, for example, couldn't make it to uh, one of the initial big delegations out in Corpus Christi. I think right. when Abbott first went to Corpus Christi. And uh, because he was flooded into Houston, well, the next day there was like a story in a national publication about how this is, you know, Ted Cruz's MIA. And so it's right. like, you know, uh, you know, it's it's a, it's a very difficult, you know, time for them. I also think how, it's really hard you know, to how gauge. You're being perceived. I mean, perceptions are one thing. I also think it's really hard to gauge like who's doing a great job and who right. isn't. Like who's being a visionary leader and who isn't. I don't I mean, think it's hard, Emily. I'll disagree with you in this respect. I don't think it's hard. To, we're, we're perfectly happy to to to, to, to attack or to uh, to criticize more accurately Governor Abbott, where we think Governor Abbott has fallen off. I actually think he's been governor not absent during this hurricane. You can't be governor yeah. absent. I mean, well, you know, you oh, you was? could no, you could be. Who was? I mean, <laughs> no, no, but but well, I think there no, are no, different I'm, degrees of there are different degrees of right, involvement. I think he's been very visible, very energetic. Mm-hmm. He's been in all places. I think he's. Let's. I mean, so was Rick Perry. So no. was. I mean, Rick Perry was like Mr. Command Center. I mean, you know, all the other hurricanes that I've covered. In in some ways, I would say he was more visible. And I think Abbott. I think I think Abbott has been where Abbott needs to be. I mean, and I think he's had a good couple weeks. What do you have? He have like four or five, you know, in a row press precincts mm-hmm. at, at DPS. You know, I mean, I th- yeah. it's you know, it just depends on the situation. This isn't like the the border where all the kids were coming in and everybody gets on their disaster mm-hmm. casual, you know, wardrobe <laughs> right. and goes on a gunboat for right. a photo. I mean, Although there I mean, was, a, I mean, just to, to, to switch over to like you know ease what not to wear for a moment here. I will suggest to you that there has been a really interesting use of disaster casual through this entire two weeks. It's, it's generally the khaki colored shirts. It's in the same way that yeah. I wonder who makes all so the Republican like campaign shirts. memes for Twitter. I'm wondering who, who is makes... the who is designing the disaster casual work. Those I don't know. are all, they're all those like side action for us. Right. They're all those like fishing shirts that I yeah, yeah, look yeah, like yeah, they yeah. have two layers. You could zip right. the you could, arms you know, off. You could put a map in yeah. the back part. But I mean, I handy. think, again, I think we're still too close to this to say, because, because true leadership in these crisis situations is about decision making. So like, you know, at the end of the day, how is history going to look at the Sylvester Turner decision not to evacuate or the Art Acevedo decision to whatever, you know, put in place curfews or, you know, I mean, I think those are the kinds of... You think anybody's looked bad? No, I don't. And I think these guys, Republican Democrats, have all been really good to each other. You know, even though there was some sort of initial um, like space between, you know, Sylvester Turner's approach and what Abbott said about evacuating. You know, Abbott said, look, I'm not the local guys. You know, listen to your local folks. He has been there have been efforts to get Abbott, I think, to you know speak out against the, the Democrats on the ground. And he really has not. I mean, he have has, there been efforts? To... Oh, yeah. I think he's been on like Fox News and they've right. tried to bait him into like attacking Sylvester like, Turner. Right. Like, doesn't something. Sylvester Turner suck? Like, yeah. what were yeah. the questions? Like, should, like, should, should, about should he have evacuated? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think we're going to end up with a death toll that's that's quite a bit lower than Rita when there was an evacuation. Well, and it could have been. It could have been just. It could have been way worse, and now and times have changed. And it may still go up. I mean, we blah, still blah, don't blah, know. It'll right. still go up. We may it may be end up being a wash. But you know, I, again, I do think they, these guys have shown a lot of leadership in in um, you know being having some allegiance and not attacking each other. You got to not be partisan at moments like this, mm-hmm. right? right? Right. I mean, and and look, honestly, the and even the whole con- t- tension between the cities and the state that have been the narrative 
uh, through line, right? That whole thing well, for the year. I mean, and that's some also of that's, kinda... And some of that's a, a media favorite through line, too. You know, I mean, it's the... Well, we the, didn't create the fight between the states and the cities. They created it. We're just reporting on no, it. No, 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 I know. But, but, you know, we're all sort of looking for interesting, um, you know, storylines right. through this when most of these folks are really just trying to rebuild. Right. I mean, we, you know, yeah. we went down to Houston a couple days ago for, for something personal, and, you know, we saw... As we were driving into the city, we just saw, you know, so many of these giant trucks, sort of the, the Julian, what are these these trucks, like the p- different police force trucks that are like, you know. Yeah, I mean, they're like, they're like armored they're like, vehicles. They're like Hummers on steroids with like Red Cross and supplies you know, and equipment. Georgetown and like that. Yeah. police coming back. You know, it's tons of, sort of local folks. I think people yeah. are really. Yeah, but I, I think yeah. by and large, every state official knows their role. Like Ken Paxton is like, beware of scams because that's what the AG does. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the folks. They know uh, their you know, role. Yeah. I mean. You yeah, know, the oil and gas right. people are like, don't freak yeah. out. There's no gas shortage. <laughs> yeah. I mean, trying to do what, what they Unless you know live best. in Terrytown, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. Julian and I drove all the way to Houston, and we found gas everywhere. It's I, I just decided that if I had if I got below a quarter of a tank, I was going to go to Ryan Sitton's house. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Fill me up He's first. He's got those 55-gallon drums. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's um, pivot and talk for a couple minutes about 2018. I've seen, uh, Patrick, you've had a flurry of headlines in the last few days about different people jumping into different races. What? Talk us through some of the... It's going to be good. It's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm excited. There some, were some surprises in there. So tell me who's who's running for what that was a surprise. Yeah, I mean, so we just got through Labor Day weekend kind of traditionally uh, the, the starting gun, I think, for the, the primary season. I mean... Uh, you know, right now there's, uh, you know, focus on a number of Senate races. Uh, you know, State Representative Pat Fallon from Republican from Frisco uh, had been looking at uh, very seriously looking at challenging State Senator Craig Estes, Republican from Wichita Falls for a number of months. Looks like that's a go. He told us uh, last night that he's going to do that. That's likely going to be a, a big uh, primary clash. Um, you Where know, do they the, fall? the word is Estes. The word is Estes is like, bring it. Yeah, right. Estes <laughs> well, is taking like, very seriously. He announced yeah, he, re-election very early. But but um, he's also like he's not going to be one of these guys who goes, oh, they're challenging me. I'm going to decide right. to slink off. He's like apparently he wants a fight. Right, right. And then we learned uh, just a day ago, State Representative Cindy Burkett, uh, Republican from Sunnyvale, uh, is going to be challenging uh, State Senator Bob Hall, Republican from Edgewood, in 2018. That was a surprise um, to me. I didn't know she had ambitions for for moving up to the Senate. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there are, you know, there are. Um, a number of uh, alliances in that district that date back to before Bob Hall held the seat. You know, he had uh, won that uh, seat very narrowly in 2014. Beat your friend uh, the drummer. Bob What's Duel. his name? Bob My Duel. Friend the Duel. Drummer. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been so many people. <laughs> How many drummers are you friends with? <laughs> right. yeah. But, you know, the thing about that race that's interesting, and I thought this was interesting, particularly in the messaging from Burkett's campaign on day one, Hall and Huffines and Connie Burton were hit particularly in the session before this last one, but presumably there was a similar version of this this time, for not passing very much legislation, for not doing very much Mm -hmm. as the conventional measure would have it of anything. And so Burkett's line about Hall is, it's okay to have conservative principles in some version of this, but you have to accomplish something. And her point was- you can't just not accomplish anything. And so she's going to try to position herself as that. You know, this is, I love this because this is where the Republican Party splits Mm-hmm. Really, the action these days politically is R versus R more than R versus D, except in select cases. And so, yeah. you know, this is when Luke Messias stands on a chair on top of a phone book and starts throwing <laughs> fists, of, you know, yeah. at people. And that's exactly how this has been the last couple of days. Yeah. And we're, and we're still waiting to hear um, uh, an announcement from uh, Angela Paxton, the wife of the Attorney General Ken Paxton, about whether she's running for state senate. That's the Mayweather-McGregor, um, yes. isn't it? And that's, that's probably going to be, be the marquee, you know, senate race. Is that? Yeah. Do you think that's Who, likely to happen? That I don't know. I think that is likely to happen. Yeah, I think she's likely to run. 
It's just a matter. Any, of are there any more? Is there any more like secret stuff happening secret that we're not aware of? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, <laughs> is, this isn't secret, sure. but you know, yeah. Pika Ego. Pika Ego. Well, yeah, well, there's another, another Senate race. You know, Kel Seliger. Um, you know, now yeah, has two, two primary challengers, both uh, credible primary challengers. Um, one is someone who came within five points of beating him in 2014. Who is that? Remind me. Mike uh, Cannon. Mike Cannon, the former, former mayor of Midland. Yep. Another right. one is Victor Leal, um, former Mulshu <laughs> mayor. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's the Indiana pronunciation <laughs> of mule shoe. <laughs> it's a mule and a shoe, Svitek. This is not hard. Um, uh, who's also uh, owns a chain of uh, Tex-Mex restaurants in the in the area. What was um, that press release we saw this morning about the guy who is the, the bird, noted bird shop, bird shop owner? Shop owner. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, well, yeah. Woman, woman, and woman running against Ron Simmons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a celebrated bird shop owner. Race yeah. over. Yeah, that's yeah. it. First four words. Race over. Right. In some districts. A bird, a bird shop, shop owner, owner might actually be a positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think yeah. the through line with Estes and, and Seliger is, you know, you've obviously seen over the just the past few years, the, the you know, under Dan Patrick, the Senate has been tugged so far to the right in terms of where its average member is that, you know, there's there have been some of these members have been, you know, I don't want to say left behind, but they're now left looking like the most moderate. Julian and I are old enough yeah. to remember when Craig Estes yeah. was a conservative. <laughs> Right. <laughs> when he was, what, a conservative? Yeah. 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 Well, right. I mean, it, isn't he already getting dinged on some of his 2015 positions? Right. I mean, I you know, this isn't our story yet, but you know, Pat Fallon last night, I spoke with him pretty extensively. And one of the first things he talked about in terms of policy differences was some of the votes that uh, Estes took on immigration right. issues in 2015. Um you know, and not willing to give him a pass on those, to, regardless of how he may have voted in 2017. So, leaving substance aside, because this is the TribCast, <laughs> am I remembering correctly the Pat Fallon trivia question, that Pat Fallon, like two years ago, ran a marathon on all seven continents? Yeah, I think he accomplished that, I believe actually. so, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, props. I mean, come on. That's yeah. like, you know. More than I could do. Yeah. If you need, apparently, <laughs> if he needs more. a campaign manager, Evan's offering. <laughs> but I kind of admire that. I mean, you don't admire that? I admire that. Yeah. yeah. Also strikes me as relatively crazy, mm -hmm. but yeah. Well, apparently, if Estes needs a campaign manager, he can hire you. <laughs> uh, all right. So we have some questions coming in on Facebook about uh, Democrats. So who are the Democrats putting up for statewide office? Paul wants to know. The only one I'm aware of is Collier. Right. I hope he's maybe. I mean, I hope, but also Beto O'Rourke is considered a statewide candidate for Democrats. Right. <laughs> Perhaps you've heard of him. I hope you consider him. Um, well, that, 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 also, that, that yeah. woman is running for ag. Yeah, there's a woman named uh, Kim Olson. She's running for agriculture commissioner. She is a, a, a veteran, a rancher, I believe. Um, she's been. Rancher. She's been. Camping, uh, camping already, she's an improvement over over that Cleburne she's guy. Been, she's been campaigning in conjunction with my caller, the lieutenant governor candidate. But yeah, it is true that we still don't have a um, you know credible or you know serious uh, Democratic candidate for governor or non-serious. Uh, yes, Jill yeah, asks. Yeah, right. I feel like we get asked this every week. So, is one of the Castro brothers going to run for governor? Uh, no, Raul, right? Raul no, Castro, no, it doesn't look like. It. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, it seems like there's there's a bit of a renewed push to to draft Joaquin Castro into the race, but there really has been no indication that he's any more open to it uh, than he was, uh, you know, however many months ago when he ruled out uh, a U.S. Senate run, and so I haven't noticed any particularly uh, striking movement on that front. Yeah, but there are eight thousand Democrats running for Congress, so at least there's that. Right, yeah, and that brings us to what you mentioned earlier, which is Pete Gallego uh, mm -hmm. decided right. not to, I think since our last trip cast, <laughs> trying yep. to make sure I have no, the, the that was period the last right. Two days. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> decided not to run for Congress again. It would have been his uh, second attempt to reclaim his seat in the 23rd Congressional District from the Republican there, Will Hurd. Um, but you still have a very crowded primary. Um, there's already three candidates in that race. Uh, 
and uh, there's probably going to be another one, another serious candidate emerging in the coming weeks. So, and How does any of the redistricting stuff play into any of this? Well, the 23rd Congressional District um, was left untouched by the most recent ruling. I think it could still be slightly altered um, because it, other lines it borders are, some yeah. districts that were invalidated or at least one that wasn't validated. Uh, but in terms of a wholesale you know, redrawing of that district, I think people are in the, in the clear for now. Did you see that uh, there was a Geigo story in one of the papers last 24 hours or so that said Geigo was saying, well, yeah, I'm... I decided not to run for the congressional seat, but I'm considering other ways to serve. Right, Like yeah. floating the possibility that he but would Texas potentially Senate. run state. Well, I mean, hell, if no one else is going to run, you know, if it's like uh, if, well. if, if, if bar owner McGee up in Dallas is the only candidate <laughs> for governor, or whatever his oh, name is, oh, yeah. yes. not bird shop owner, bar owner. <laughs> Noted gay bar <laughs> owner. Uh, yeah. right. I mean, look, if you're Gallego oh, and nobody not? else yeah, is running absolutely. for governor, what do you got to lose? Right. Uh, well, you got to run a race. Right. Um, Sounds like a losing proposition to me. Speaking of Will Hurd's district, does any, any of these Democrats stand a chance? I mean, it seems like Will Hurd is playing that district pretty well, like no border wall and you know things like that. I mean, I, I you know I think he is, but you're going to see these Democrats, um, you know, uh, attack him as you know just paying lip service to some of these issues and not actually voting the way that he he, he talks about. And so, um, you know, for example, on the you know on the uh, the dream the uh, DACA issue, for right. example, you know, he put out a pretty you know, um, nice statement yesterday on it. Uh, but you already were seeing his, you know, Democratic challengers saying, oh, this doesn't matter because right. under Obama, you took some votes that were in opposition to uh, helping these kids. Right. Well, even uh, John so, Cornyn was somewhat sympathetic in his statement also, but, you know. Right, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Way, so. um, and so uh, we'll see, but I think that'll definitely be one of the main kind of lines of attack is the, the rhetoric doesn't match up with how he voted under Obama or just in recent years. All right, well, I'm going to be sympathetic to our TribCast listeners and let them out of here. That's all the time we have. If you like listening to the TribCast every week, please do us a well, favor. What's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> Work that into the script. What's wrong with you? And also leave us a review on iTunes. Those readings help us reach more depressed listeners like you. <laughs> Shut-ins. God, we're really, right. this is working out great. Also, yeah. if you value the Tribune's nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom, please consider making a donation at support.texastribune.org. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music, and on behalf of Evan, Patrick, Julian, and our producers, Todd and Bobby. This is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. Texas talking. Texas talking. We have a good intro. Oh, good. It's not interesting in the normal sense that sometimes people make jokes but it's it's not interesting it's, in that it's well like executed. not interesting it's <laughs>